investigative news agency Factwire says it ceased operations. It gave no reason for its decision to close. That's all the news from RTHK. and welcome to another episode of The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. Hope you're all staying dry and somewhat enjoying your day so far. Since the weather isn't going to get any better, why not hit the movies and stay indoors? So, the new Downton Abbey movie was just released on Thursday, and in case you aren't familiar with what it is, it is originally a British historical drama and was adapted to the silver screen. Since the release of the drama in 2010, it has gained numerous accolades for its outstanding plot and costume. If you listen to Morning Brew every Friday, you'll know that film critic James Marsh is quite picky about the things he likes. And surprisingly, he enjoyed the film. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay. Well, you've seen more than me then, because this, the, this is my first engagement with Downton Abbey. <laughs> Uh, so take a, take that for what you will. Um, so yeah, we have Downton Abbey and New Era, which is the second feature film spin-off of obviously the hugely successful TV show. Yeah. Uh, we also have you watched that too, today... by the way, James? Have you have you done the TV? Have you done no, oh, that's probably a good no, but good, good approach actually. <laughs> I'll get I'll I'll get into that in a minute, but no, I haven't. Um, also, we have new Liam Neeson movie Blacklight, new Adam Sandler movie Hustle. We have a Seen new Marvel, t- Marvel TV show, Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah. Uh, also a new true crime hor- um, murder mystery, Under the Banner of Heaven, mm. which is on Disney+. Plus. Some goodies today. And, yeah, and a Japanese boys love romance, which, you know, I know you've been excited for. It's called uh, Cherry Magic. You well, it's it got a, a longer you title. Said a but... You said it was a belter. I, well, I know how excited you are for this kind of thing but i i, I want to save that one thought so. so i thought we would begin <laughs> let's begin with with downton come on especially if you're an american mm. join us on facebook live if you've seen downton abbey if you've seen any downton abbey love to hear what you have to say oh my god mm. yeah morning, exactly. morning brew is our page and we're waiting for you there all yours okay so downton abbey a new era is the second feature film spin-off sequel from the hugely successful tv show now i didn't see the first film because i never saw the tv show okay you know it's it's not my job so i didn't watch it and then so when <laughs> the, the film the came around oozing out of you is just incredible <laughs> yeah. the vocation of if, you're not, <laughs> if you're not paying me i can't be bothered um so when the first film came around i didn't i didn't watch it i was like it'll be completely lost on me my assumption is that if you're already on the Downton train, then you're going to go watch it. But I doubt that it will bring in any new viewers. So the second movie came around, yeah. and I it, it just, if I'm completely honest, it just fit conveniently into my schedule. So I thought, <laughs> you know what, you know what, why not? Let's go and have a little look at a bit of Downton, and it's called a new era. So you know, it does seem to be suggesti- suggesting that it's you know a few years later in new characters and what have you. So. The bulk of the drama, as it was, plays out, uh, is, is sort of steered by Lady Mary, Michelle Dockery's character. And she does she does a pretty good job. I understand that she is 
a major part of the show already. Uh, but she sort of steers steers the drama. She gets hit on repeatedly by um, Hugh Dancy's director. Uh, apparently, she has a husband, but he's away a lot, and yeah. that is that's causing a lot of problems. Yeah. But um, you know, so she is something in of uh, you know she she's tempted, shall we say? Um, and then we get production issues with the film, not least the fact that silent movies have pretty much run their course. I was going to say, are they about to do the transition to the talkies and it and it's it's allegorical for the family and yada, yada, yada. Yo, you are way ahead. No, but it's you so predictable. It, it's always been predictable. And um, Pollock's done well, as my friend once, well, not quite that word, but you know what I mean? It's predictable. You, you know what you're getting. Well, I thought was quite was quite interesting is that, is that yeah, I mean, it's... This one, I believe, is the first time that they've really sort of addressed the film industry and what have you, and it, it raises some interesting points. Not, li- I mean, yes, yes, there is that evolution from the from the silent movie to the talkies, and Laura Haddock is the name I was looking for, who plays sort of the very glamorous leading lady who has a has a voice like a fishmonger, and that's the issue. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, she's she's you know she's. Uh, stepped beyond her station. You know, she is this glamorous star of the screen who, when she opens her mouth, is like, ooh, ghastly. Singing in the rain. Even... So, yes, he is singing in the rain. It's the artist. It's all of these films. Uh... Just one more tiny bit, James. It's just that, you know, mm. I think the thing that's, that's always hung over the heads of these people was, oh, how relevant are we? And so they really seem yeah. to be banging this nail in. Oh. Well, this is what I was going to say. Is as As the film becomes overrun with these... Uh, these actor types, these artist types, what have you, the hierarchy immediately shifts because to the staff, these stars, even the one who sounds like a fishmonger, uh, you know, are infinitely more exciting and special. And so celebrity status becomes a threat to to the hierarchy within the house. And so I thought that that was kind of quite, interestingly played and then there's this you know when the funding gets pulled it's like how are we going to rescue the production oh well let's try and turn it into a talkie rather than the film so it kind of goes down that route so there was enough in it in and of itself to keep me quite interested see that's what they do well it really is yeah and you know the cast are obviously great they're kind of you get the impression that the regulars are all kind of just going through the paces they're like fine i'll do one more why not it it did also seem like it had been shot kind of out of sequence like they went down the south of france and shot all of that stuff first because even in the early scenes uh hugh bonville in particular looks very tanned and i was like why is he looking like quite as tanned as he is and then when they all go to south france oh okay that makes sense i guess they did this bit first because that's the expensive location stuff so if they don't get that shot they, then none of the rest is going to work before he continues have you seen this yet is it public is it public released or it came you... out yesterday right so have you seen this really keen to hear from you just hi and hello to our two good mates gabby says i love downton abbey tv show is great steve says i watched everything downton abbey and i will see it tonight maggie smith rules there you go well there you go then you are you are a pig in his element uh <laughs> uh you know it's fine and all i can say is that from a casual viewer who hadn't really seen anything who only had a vague understanding of, of even what i was getting into uh it, it was quite entertaining and it passed the time i doubt it would be considered vintage downton but it's but it's perfectly acceptable it's it, you know you, you know what you're getting and you get it Film critic James Marsh on Friday's Morning Brew. 
If you're thinking about lunch plans and you're tired of having the same dishes over and over again, I might have just a thing for you. If you enjoy garlic and happen to love chicken, our next guest, Josie James, the founder and director of a recruitment agency, shared with Sadia Usmani her favorite adobo dish, which is simply Filipino-styled marinated chicken with lots of garlic and seasoning. She also shared with Sadia how competitive it can get when this dish was served during her childhood. Oh, very much so, Sadia. Um, back in the Philippines in my growing years, um, food and family time around food mm-hmm. is the most looked forward to mm-hmm. by everyone. We are a small family, our immediate family. It's uh, my mother and my two other siblings younger than me. And my mother is such a great cook mm-hmm. that uh, we can hardly wait for meal time. <laughs> and so... Because she's such a great cook, you can't help but to emulate her, yeah. to to learn what she's doing. So did you actually, I mean, was she a mum who kind of sat you in, in the kitchen and said, look, okay, watch what I'm doing? Or was she one that said, listen, you're going to cook the rest of your life. You don't need to pay too much attention. <laughs> I mean, what did you do? Well, you are just naturally drawn to the mm-hmm. kitchen. Mm-hmm. She doesn't ask you Mm -hmm. to watch to learn or she doesn't train you at all Mm -hmm. it's just us for me in particular being the eldest i just come home from school at the time and you're just drawn immediately to the scent Mm -hmm. that greets you right from the door open the door that's right all that aroma and sometimes you can already guess what's uh, what's on stove cooking and so uh, yeah, so you just go there and you can, you know, cajole her uh, <laughs> uh, to giving you a sample bite. Oh, so, sounds lovely. Yes. Well, it's, it sounds super. And what, I mean, you know, we're talking about your sound bite and the memories that you have. What uh, What is the dish that comes into mind immediately when you think of those great memories? Oh, sad, yeah. If you are talking to a Filipino. <laughs> There's too many dishes, right? There are too ma- many dishes, but the one that stands out mm. is adobo. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, people think adobo is almost you know, commonplace, okay. ordinary. So but what is it? Well, I've not, I, I'm not familiar with it. So okay. exactly what is adobo? Okay, adobo is simply uh, a meat. Uh, it can be a chicken, pork, and even vegetables, mm-hmm. or a combination of pork and chicken. Mm-hmm. And for seasoning, for the flavor, it sounds very simple. Soy sauce, lots of garlic, bay leaf, black pepper, and the vinegar. Mm-hmm. So that's your basic seasoning. Mm-hmm. That's the purest adobo. Okay. So where it differs from household to household, you would everyone would claim everyone does they it in a they, way. they, right. they make the best adobo. Okay. But not really. Uh-huh. Um, so if it's your kitchen, you would claim yours is the best. <laughs> so the secret to it is how do you start to build the flavor? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of households will just, you know, pour everything together and simmer it for an hour or so. Mm-hmm. But to build the flavor, you have to add your flavorings in layers. And also, you have to taste. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you just, let's just say you have a pound of pork. 
What I do is I saute first dry. Just the meat? Just like browning it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So that creates that base flavor from the meat itself. Right. Before you add your liquid, meaning the vinegar and the soy sauce. Okay. And then you add the bay leaf or bay leaves. So you're doing this gradually. You're adding those things slowly, right? Yes. Uh And then lots of garlic. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people will will add chopped onions, but I don't. Um, And then the black pepper, black peppercorns. What I do is I um, grind some of it and leave some in whole form. And then, um, yeah, you add your soy sauce. In the Philippines, we have mainly one kind of soy sauce at the time. Mm-hmm. Unlike in Hong Kong, you have the light and mm-hmm. the dark. But over in the Philippines, it's just a matter of what brand do you use uh, to make, you know, more robust flavor. Right. Right. So you just uh, simmer that and um, check every, let's say, half an hour. Okay. And maybe in an hour. Until you, the meat yes, tenderizes. tenderizes. But it's not just a matter of tenderizing it. You are waiting for some kind of caramelization that takes place. So from that pale, dark brown, it becomes this vibrant... um, Chocolatey. Chocolatey (laughs) and... I'm salivating just for you describing it. Oh, well, yes. Okay, okay. That's the idea. Yes, I know. Right, so so then it's turned into that kind of caramelized, sort of darker brown, mm-hmm. and is that that's when it's kind of nearly ready, or that's ready? Okay, um, but for me, I still want to to check to make a balance of. I like my adobo a little bit on the soury side. Uh-huh. Um, that's why I will have to check if I need to add more vinegar to it. If I haven't mentioned vinegar, yes, vinegar is a vital uh, <laughs> ingredient of it. I can see that's where you get yes. that sort of sour, slight sourness yes, in it. Yes. Oh, that sounds lovely. So, so now, Adobo, when you had it as a child, your mum, did your mum make it differently? You, you're making it like your mum made it, right? I used to make it like how my mother did mm-hmm. it until mm-hmm. I discovered spices when I arrived in Hong Kong. Okay. Ah, so you, you've adapted yours to right. your environment as That's well. That's right. And, and how would you eat that? Is that eaten with rice or with um, noodles or how is it normally eaten? Normally white rice, plain rice, okay. I, I should and say. And would you have anything else as an accompaniment with the meat? Well, you always want to strike a balance. So mm-hmm. if you have such you know rich meat dish, mm-hmm. you would want to have vegetables to, to go with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe seafood like fish mm, normally well, it sounds lovely mm-hmm. so when you think of adobo i mean i suppose the memories that come back to you are those of your childhood and your mother making it right yes um absolutely including my siblings my younger brother and sister i tell you adobo is such a revered dish uh, as far as uh, my mother's cooking is concerned that my two younger siblings would normally get um, serve themselves more more than they should, <laughs> and start to hide them those pieces of meat under you know a mound of rice, okay. and that becomes the trading um, a negotiation power okay. later on. Who is gonna wash the dishes? If you are washing the dishes today, 
and you normally don't want to do it as a child, you would want to strategize by hiding some adobo under your rice <laughs> and towards halfway through the meal, you would negotiate. As I you can have some mind over as long as you wash the dishes. Exactly oh, that. A, a, exactly strategic that. moves going on here. You have kids. <laughs> yes. So, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And that was Josie James, founder and director of a recruitment agency on the 123 show. Recently, a historical building in Chimsa Chou was set to be demolished. But some experts and researchers have found that the building was actually used to carry out some underground intelligence work against Japanese during the Second World War. The building was granted a grade 3 structure, and many have said that it has major historical value towards Hong Kong, and advocates are encouraging the government to reassess the value of the building before making any plans. Discussing more about it is Paul Chan, the co-founder and CEO of Walk in Hong Kong, and Fredo Zhang, heritage conservationist and former vice president of the Hong Kong Institute for Architectural Conservationist. Yeah, and I would also contend that the architectural significance of this particular building is also undervalued in the initial assessment because, for starters, you know, when we talk about these type of, uh, I think what in the past, you know, in statutory terms, they call tenement buildings. This particular type is a Western building. So compared to the opposite, which is the Tonglao, which is a Chinese type of tenement house. So, and the thing with these Western type tenement housing is that um, it's quite rare. And the only one that really comes to mind is the one at Prince Edward Road. And this is why I would say that the architectural value of this particular building was also under-assessed in the initial assessment. Yeah, so when, 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 we, when we wrote the report and uh, one of the one of our assessment criteria is about rarity, uh, but in, in when you talk about how these Tonglao or veranda-type buildings were rare, we actually did not get hold of any, um, any like, Grounds or any statistical uh, data, and therefore um, some members of our team actually do a very, very um, painstaking uh, survey of the, of all the pre-war um, uh, historical Tonglao and Fernando type building, uh, and try to really look for the numbers. And after that, um, like sweep or the radar screen. Of these of this type of building, and we now really get hold of the numbers. So we are talking about in Chimtachui, the Nathan Road One Nine O is the only surviving uh, veranda type building or European style building in in the in the district, and. Uh, its architectural merit is actually very high because it's um it's a building in built in the nineteen thirties. So we are talking about already eighty something years ago. And it's a combination of two architectural styles. Uh, on the on the facade is Art Deco and on this side is a neoclassical, which is actually quite um uh, very uh uh very curious and very interesting, interesting combination, which is actually very rare itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, its location is on the junction of the of the road, which makes it even rarer. Mm -hmm. And uh, and 
the um, this type of building is uh, with a with a um, pavement with a uh, with veranda with a veranda and also a balcony. If we look for uh, all the similar types of building in Hong Kong and Kowloon, actually only three of them uh, fall into this type. So like. Like after gathering all this, which I think is not available when they did the assessment in 2018, so we um, very uh, quite very, we are very convinced that the architectural merits and also its rarity was also undervalued in the previous assessments. Now, what, yeah, sorry, what, go ahead, Eddie. Uh, what, what about its authenticity? Uh, uh, well, this building is uh, actually on at the corner of Nathan Road and Austin Road. I think a lot of um, our listeners um, must have walked past it, but they probably don't notice uh, it's a very unique um, historic value and uh, architectural value because uh, the facade has changed. Um, you know, we, we now have brands and we have advertisements and, and it is now a shopping mall instead of a residential building. So um, would that have destroyed its authenticity? Frido? No, I don't think it actually... Uh, the the authenticity has actually been destroyed because if you look at the um, just the external facade, I've not actually been inside the building, but I would say that most of the character defining elements of the building is there. I mean, you take away the so uh, that that includes the uh, the uh, veranda. Yeah, all the features and, are there. The features. Yeah. yeah, it's just that new windows have been added, and that the original um, balcony structure and the terrace have actually been enclosed, you know, with by, by windows. And then, of course, you know, you have the additional signages and all that along on the elevation, but all the character-defining elements are intact. Yeah, and uh, when, when we did the um, like observation of the, of the building, and obviously the nature of the building has changed from a residential block for the, uh, for the um, Laos and Chen's family to um, now um, like a store and like for commercial use and therefore like um, understandably some alteration has been has been made but uh, our case is that all these alteration can is, is actually reversible but the all the defining um, feature has been has remained intact and so we can actually um, do the alteration and do the uh, reversion uh, fairly, fairly easily, and also I, I, I really, I really want to point out that in in terms of authenticity, sometimes we all we often compare, we we need to compare apple to apple and orange and and orange. So sometimes when we talk about authenticity, we compare these type of like uh, residential use or the um, the the the, uh, the residential flex with government building with um, with a building that with a very specific use. So say if you're a school, if you're a government office, then you can hardly change. And therefore, like like naturally, they 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 will be um, like in terms of authenticity, they'll be higher. But the nature of being a residential flat, a privately owned building, the the the, the whole nature is you need to be adaptable. Yep. And you, you, somehow you need to adapt uh, uh, according to the users, uh, according to the tenants, and therefore, like alteration is something so understandable. Yeah, as long as as long as they did not really damage the um, the um, defining uh, the character defining um, features, and then actually, I don't see it should be a point that should somehow undermine its heritage value. Yeah, and this is the nature of conservation today where, you know, we talk about adaptive reuse, you know, adapting 
old buildings for new use, so giving them a new lease of life. So what we're seeing at the moment is one such scenario, and whether it is um, it is appropriate type of adaptive reuse, you know, you know that's subject to question, but. You know, it is a scenario, adaptive reuse scenario. Yeah, and and one major uh, breakthrough this time is that we get hold of the um, uh, we are connected to the family, and they share a lot of old pictures that's taken inside and like in the surrounding of the of the building, and therefore like, we 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 got the the very credible sources if we want to do this um, reversion actually. Fredo John. Heritage conservationist and former vice president of the Hong Kong Institute of Architectural Conservationists, and Paul Chan, the co-founder and CEO of Walk in Hong Kong, on Backchat. To end today's program, I'll leave you with Steve James, who celebrated the birthday of late singer Les Paul on Thursday's afternoon drive, who would have been 107 that day. Take care and have a great day. I'll see you next week, same time here on the Week on Three. I'm Christy Lai. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom-a-lacka, zoom-a-lacka, boom-a-lacka, zoom-a-lacka. There isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. four. Everything stops for tea. Stand by, here we go. Now I know just why Franz Schubert yes. didn't finish his unfinished symphony. What happened there, then? He might have written more, but the clock struck four, and everything stops for tea. OK, we've got a little combo here that you've definitely heard me play before. I'm too big a fan to ignore the fact that today is the birthday of the late Les Paul. He was born 1915. Alongside his considerable success as a performer, guitarist, innovator, he was also an innovator and inventor who was either directly or partly responsible for many of the advances in musical instrument and recording technologies, this is the bit I like, that are still very much sort of standards in uh, recording in the studios today as a pioneer of multi-track recording and tape delay which became known as echo the inventor of sound on sound recording and a collaborator in the development of one of the world's most significant electric guitars paul himself was behind an impressive array of developments that enabled groundbreaking recordings it says in me file in the late 1940s and early 50s you've got to remember it's the late 1940s early 1950s and he's able to produce this
Yeah. 